making Redeemer really welcoming and hospitable to everyone who walks in the door. Ashley, and thank you, Christy. Uh, and thank you to all of you who have volunteered uh, downstairs and in the parking lot and everywhere else. Uh, this is a beautiful... Um, we, we love as pastors, um, the, our, our specific roles and the staff, um, there's, you know, the number of people that are on staff at the church, but we are so thankful that this is a church, uh, that is not a, a spectator sport. As Benjamin says, you don't come just to consume. Um, we are so grateful for your hearts that you want to be on mission together with us as a church community. So we are grateful to the Lord for you all. Uh, okay, for our sermon today, we are going to be speaking from Mark 6. Uh, if you are, so you can get out your Bibles and look that up, or it will be on the screen behind me. Uh, if you are a visitor, uh, you'll notice these visitor cards in the seat backs in front of you. Um, and if you fill those out, we will reach out to you. Uh, either Leon, myself, or Pastor Benjamin will reach out to you to grab coffee or lunch. And just we'd love to hear more of your story, uh, what your life looks like, and answer any questions you have about the church. Um, we will buy you coffee or buy you lunch. Uh, the more of you that fill those out, the more lunches that I get to go to. So I do not, uh, I would love for you to fill them out. Uh, we love getting to know our visitors. Um, okay, so from Mark 6, uh, we talked about uh, the first six verses last week, and we're moving on to verses 7 through 13. So I'm going to read this and then pray and then dive into the sermon. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over impure spirits. There were his instructions, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If, and, in, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that the Bible is authoritative over our lives, that we are not left on this earth to wander aimlessly without direction, but it is a light to our path and a lamp to our feet. Father, we pray that you would give us hearts that are willing to submit to the word this morning. Convict us of sin where we are in sin. Correct our incorrect thinking about you and or ourselves and or our neighbors through the preaching of your word. We pray for our church community that you would continue to grow us in compassion and in love for our community. We pray for those who are hurting amongst us in this building, those connected to our church and those of the greater community around us. We pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that those that are without housing would have housing. We pray that those who are without jobs would have gainful employment. We pray that those who are in broken relationships would see those relationships restored. Father, you are a God of reconciliation. And we pray that you would continue to reconcile all things to yourself. It's in Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. 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 We know that over the summer, uh, schedules are kind of sporadic and people are in and out of town a little bit. So I want to give a little recap of the last few weeks. Last Sunday, Pastor Mac, he preached on the offense of truth and how we process when Jesus gives us truth that is seemingly offensive to us or to others. Week before that, we talked about faith in Christ, the Jesus who can do miracles and the Jesus who is incredibly compassionate. A week or two before that, we talked about the storms of life and how they can challenge our faith, but trusting God, trusting the Lord gives us perspective to see the storms of life for what they really are. And we pray, like we pray before we preach every Sunday, we pray that as the congregation and visitors at Redeemer, as you are here, we pray that weekly you're getting to hear about who Jesus is, the Son of God, the giver of truth, the one who does incredible miracles, who is overwhelmingly compassionate. And just like we talked about a few weeks ago, the one that when the storms of life comes, he does not fret or worry. Jesus is the one who is trustworthy. And brothers and sisters, this is just in the last three or four weeks of what we've covered on Jesus. You read through the rest of the stories in these gospel texts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I promise you'll be blown away by story after story of Jesus' power and his generosity. And as we learn more about him, both individually and collectively as a community, we grow in relationship with him. The Holy Spirit grows us to be more healthy more loving, and more peaceful. I mean, this is the guy that we're worshiping Sunday Sunday in and Sunday out. Listen to this from Colossians 1. It's my favorite passage in the New Testament. It says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Jesus to reconcile to Himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And this Jesus who loves us dearly, the one that became flesh and blood, who, so that he could make you a son or daughter of God, as the Bible tells us, this Jesus is a co heir of ours. The Jesus who sees your sin forgives you. The Jesus who sees your fear and offers peace. The Jesus who is committed to your sanctification, which is just that big Bible word meaning becoming more and more like Jesus. The Jesus who is not only devoted to loving you, but teaching you and showing you just how much he does. This is the one that we want to talk about and we try to talk about every single week. But that Jesus isn't just calling you into a relationship with Him, isn't just making you more kind and more generous and more holy, that Jesus, as we see from this passage and throughout the New Testament, is also calling you in 
to mission. Brothers and sisters, what we see from this passage today from Mark 6 is that the Christian life, though it is never less than you and I as individuals and as a community growing in relationship with Jesus, it is also so much more. Now, Redeemer, I want to be clear here and give some qualifiers. We love getting to be a church alongside you. I love getting to see uh, new friendships grow and develop. I love the connections that get made on a Sunday morning and throughout the week. We love to see when marriages get help who have been struggling and begin to feel hope again. We love to see people get married. Yesterday, there's a wedding of two people at the church, and as they came down, they start crying. I start crying. I look out. Barry's crying. My wife's crying. Like, we love a good wedding. We love to see people growing in their love for the Bible. We love to see people growing in their understanding of why we have communion every Sunday by reading a book called The Anglican Way and studying it on Wednesday. We love to see people grow. So don't hear me for a second that these things are unimportant or even less important. But a life, a family, a church that lacks mission is a life, a family, or a church that is missing out on truly following Jesus. When I was in middle school, we had all of our core classes, old Taylor Road Middle School up in uh, Duluth, Georgia. Uh, We had all of our core classes, you know, the math, science, English. And then we had a list of, you know, a dozen, dozen and a half electives we could take. And so those electives, it doesn't matter which one you took, you could just kind of opt in or opt out. I remember taking home ec. Uh, Somehow I was the only male in home ec, learned how to sew a a beautiful uh, pillow with my name on it. Uh, I still feel proud about that. So I remember taking technology class, walking in the first day, being so pumped, and the, and the teacher introducing himself as uh, three-fingered Mr. Backus because he had cut the uh, the final three fingers uh, off a half, or they cut them in half on the table saw in the technology room. Terrified, I walked out and got a new elective after that. Uh, went back to sewing pillows on uh, home ec. But those electives... It didn't matter which one I took, they were just an option for me. I had to have a certain number doing two each semester, but those electives were not core classes. What I'm here to tell you today is that mission is not an elective. It's not something that we opt in or opt out of in the Christian life. Mission is a core class of Christianity. From day one, these apostles were being led into mission. Jesus said as much in Matthew 4.19. Those of you who know this verse, say it back to me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So on the very first invitation from Jesus... The disciples not only heard, follow me, and I will, you know, in all the good that comes from following him, the the holiness, the healthiness, the forgiveness of sins, there was a directive of follow me and I will lead you on mission. The reality is that when we come to Jesus, we are coming to be sent out on mission. And we know this as a church, but gosh, I want to tell you today, in my heart, And I know in your heart maybe as well, this is so easy to forget. And now I know this this stereotype may uh, may be shocking to you since I'm a guy, um, but it is the stereotype doesn't ring true for all guys. Like a lot of stereotypes don't. 
But supposedly, all guys are supposed to be incredible with directions and navigation. And I'm just here to raise my hand saying I'm horrible at it. I'm here to admit that I oftentimes, my wife is much better at knowing where we are going. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glued to my ways or my you know, Google Maps to tell me where I'm going, and my whole family knows this about me. But on top of that, not only am I not great with directions, I will completely just space out when I'm driving. Now, I'm very safe. So don't get alarmed. I know I have four kids, and you don't have to, like, call Ubers for them to get home from here. I'm safe as a driver, but there will be times where I'll be driving and all of a sudden end up in a totally different direction from where I'm supposed to go, not because I'm being unsafe, just because I am, like, my mind just wanders, and I just I lose a sense of where I'm going. We went to South Carolina this past week uh, to get away for a week or so as a family. And about 20 minutes into the trip, we left very early on Monday morning, about 20 minutes into the trip, my 7-year-old pipes up from the back seat and she goes, Daddy, do you know where we're going? So my wife's asleep. She just worked the night shift and graciously decided to sleep in the car so we could get there sooner. And, and Emma from the back goes, Daddy, just where do you know where we are going? And so I turn around, you know, a little bit offended, give her an eye, a face of like, are you serious? And it's like really like four turns to get to South Carolina. Like you go south on 75, bang a left at Macon, bang a left at Savannah, and you're pretty much there. And I'm like, sweetie, like I promise I can do this. But if I'm honest, it's probably a pretty fair question of me. And so even after I reassured her that I 100% know where we're going, we've been to the same place probably 25 times, she goes, but you've got ways on, Right. And I was like, yes, ma'am, I have the ways on. But the reality is that like my driving tendency, as a people, we can so quickly forget that we are called to and invited to mission. Left up to our own ways, when we turn the navigation system of God's word off in the call to mission off, it's not that we are going to become some horrible person robbing banks and doing stuff like that. I mean, maybe for some of you, but I don't think that's going to be kind of where you go if you turn off mission. It's going to be that you settle for a little bit less. And when we do so, it's just like when I'm daydreaming in the car. I'm not going to end up in Alaska, but I'm probably not going to end up where I'm, being, where I'm trying to get to. So church, what does this look like? It looks like as a church and individuals, when we go off mission, when we don't, when we are not being reminded of what mission is, we oftentimes will choose easy over best. As a church, we will choose to be a social club of people doing nice things. There's a slide for this. A social club of people doing nice things, and that's wonderful. Like, I love that there are deep friendships in this room. I love that when I, I, run, I go over to somebody's house for a gathering or a Bible study or whatnot, like people are laughing and catching up. That is a beautiful picture of community. I love that you guys are unbelievably kind at, you know, in, 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 in ways that you live your life, but we are not simply a social club of people doing nice things. We are a group of people being loved by Jesus and giving that love away in mission. As individuals, when we forget mission, we can become a people that choose easy over best. And so often that easy is pursuing earthly comforts. Or I know it is for me. Clay, I'm going to make you work this morning. I want you to go back to that last song that we sang. 
And there was a passage, a verse in there that when I was singing that, I, I felt like I was like, and, and Rachel didn't know exactly what we were going to talk about this morning because I switched it up on her on Friday. But this, this verse in here, when we sang that, I was like, that, is, that says it better than I ever could. We have trusted in the meaningless and chased the life of ease. Now we wander in the shadowlands where comfort is our king. Anybody relate to that? We lost all meaning, drowned out the feeling, our hearts barely beating. Can you go to the next one, Clay? Or the previous one? There it is. We long for Egypt in the wilderness, a kingdom made of dust, built an idol out of happiness, a paradise of rust. Church, it's 2021, but we are not the first first people who have at times been tempted to trade mission for comfort. That line talking about, oh, we longed for Egypt in the wilderness, a kingdom made of dust. That's the people of God in the Old Testament. Though they are on mission, they've been given clear instructions from God. They look back and say, I just want to go back to where I had it, where I was more comfortable, where life was seemingly easier. And I'm here to tell you, though comforts are not, all comforts are not bad. Like, I love a good meal just like you do. I love a good vacation just like you do. Those are good things. Take care of yourself. Exercise. Have a a healthy, joy-filled life. But make sure that that pursuit of comfort does not become an idol for you that pushes out mission. Because they cannot, you cannot serve comfort and mission at the same time. Because we are on a mission and we need to be reminded of it. We need that navigation system because we get off track so easily. These passages of Scripture, like Mark 6, are like my seven-year-old from the back seat asking, do you know where you're going? And so we take the time to reestablish that, to remind each other. And what do I mean by mission? Well, we planted Redeemer seven years ago, and it came from a simple heart in a simple vision we just wanted to see more people grafted into a healthy relationship with god and each other the formal mission statement was and still is this we haven't changed a word in seven years it's to proclaim the gospel of jesus christ through our words and our lives to make disciples of christ and to live as people who are loved and accepted and transformed by christ And this mission statement came from passages just like this. Jesus, having been with his disciples and walked with them, having taught them, loved them, forgiven them, he begins to send them out. And in this passage, we read it and we say, all right, they're being sent out. They have authority over impure spirits, take nothing but a staff, no bread, no money, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you you." Until you leave town. This, when we read this, honestly, there's some part of it, I mean, if you're anything like me, that feels a little bit unrelatable. Right? We look at this passage and it feels like we're watching a Marvel movie. You get done with something like Iron Man 2 or the Avengers and you're amazed and maybe a little bit inspired, but then you go get in your car or you get in Marta to come back home and your life feels kind of mundane and unrelatable. I'm not headed off on a journey where I can't have bread and I can't take a bag and no money in your belts. Like, oh, that must be for, like, super Christians. 
We read passages about disciples bravely leaving town, leaving their comforts of home, taking nothing on them, and it feels like we're reading about superheroes or super Christians. I was listening to a a, a, a story, a story core, whatever those things are called by NPR, and it was a story core, it was a, a, a conversation with two people about their response to the Ebola virus. And a friend of mine shared it with me, and there's a Christian man who was a pastor and now works for the CDC. And this Liberian Christian man, who was a man from Liberia, and the Ebola crisis is going on there years ago, and he talked about why he decided to, to enter in and try to help. And he said, the quote is, My heart's desire is for God to drop me in a zone where an earthquake happened or something devastating, and just let me be there with the people to help. Brothers and sisters, this is mission, and I'm not saying that that's not mission. It is unbelievable what that man, the, the, the call that that man had on his life. I'd recommend the whole story to you. It was, it was a great interview. But I'm here to also tell you that if you are a Christian here today, sitting in one of these black seats here today, this invitation, though you may not be called to drop into an Ebola crisis in Liberia, this invitation to mission still is an invitation for you. It's an invitation for both you as a member of the church to lean into how we live out this mission collectively, but it's also an invitation for you as an individual, a family, or as a, or as a group of friends to live on mission. And no, I don't think God's calling you to the exact same thing as the disciples. Like, for A, first of all, like a staff and sandals and a tunic, what they wore back then, probably not a great look in 2021. So don't completely apply this directly to your life. But I'm here to tell you that most of your mission is lived out in everyday, ordinary ways. It looks like you reading the scripture and recognizing that you can have a role in the kingdom coming. Reading the scriptures and saying you can have a role in loving your neighbor as yourself. You can have a role in being the hands and feet of Jesus. You do this by being a good employee. Maybe Every one of you from the doctors to the restaurant staff, may you see as an accountant or working in finance or working wherever you work, may you see your work as a mission. You and I have a role in mission by noticing and caring for the hurting, the poor, the vulnerable around us. You and I have an invitation to have a role in mission by sacrifice and serving, by loving your kids well on mission, sharing the gospel with non-believers, inviting the lost and the struggling to church. And when we answer that call to mission, we are ultimately answering the question like they answered in Mark 6. Do I trust that I know what is best with my life or that God does? Because there's going to be moments just like they had in their lives back then 2,000 years ago where I'm sure they didn't want to give up their lucrative careers. Or they didn't want to give up the community that they had or the reputation they had to go off on mission with God. But ultimately they had to ask the question of, is what I want for my life best, or is what God's calling me to best. This is every aspect of the Christian life. It's ultimately a matter of trust. So if that is the what of mission, what do we see here about the how of mission? First and foremost, mission, the call to live a life following Christ, 
will always involve sacrifice and sometimes even be a little bit scary. Put simply, this means that we would engage the world the same way Jesus does by going out rather than just reaching out, but actually going and loving and serving and caring even when it's difficult and it hurts. These disciples here literally gave up their careers, walked away from certain, from the certain I'm sure, the, the pleasures that they have. And that's not a, a, a prescriptive thing for all of you. This passage, like so much of the Bible, is descriptive of what they were called to, not prescriptive for what exactly you're called to in your life. But it does mean that we take the principles of them laying down their comforts for the sake of following Jesus. And I see this as one of your pastors. I get to see this. I get to see you all on mission day in and day out. A month ago or so, a woman from our church was driving through the neighborhood, Kiara, driving through the neighborhood on her way back home, and she noticed a woman who looked like she was having a really hard time with a young baby. At that moment, Kiara had a choice to make. I'm sure there she has... A number of children. I'm sure that there was uh, uh, plenty of things on her to-do list to get done. I'm sure there were things that she wanted to get home to, to get dinner ready or to eat lunch or whatever was going on in that moment. But instead, Kiara, on mission, having her eyes open to the hurting people around her, pulled over. And she sat with that woman. And she spent the day with that woman. And she got her number and her contact information. And she spread, and she asked that woman's permission to share that woman's contact information with other people at the church. She invited her here on a Sunday morning. She got connected to other families in ways that with that woman going through a difficult time, she was loved well and able to be able to, to have her needs met in this difficult time because a woman at our church decided to stay on mission. I heard a story on Friday night, just this weekend, of a woman at our church whose car recently got totaled, and another woman at our church found out about it, and this woman was going through kind of a a difficult time financially. Another woman at our church found out that her car had gotten totaled, and the next morning, she, the woman whose car got totaled, woke up to a Venmo alert that her with a, an, a, an amount, a financial amount that covered her entire deductible from that crash. The woman never even asked for help, but the other woman, the generous woman that gave the money, when she was thanked by the woman whose car was wrecked, the woman who gave the money responded and just said, I know this is a difficult time, and I just didn't want you to even have to ask. That is a woman who's giving up something in, part, in, in, in what it for her to stay on mission involves sacrifice financially. Some of you are going to make a ton of money in your life, and I'm here to tell you as your pastor, like, go make that money. Like, it is not, I'm not here to tell you that money is evil, but I am here to tell you that there's some of you who are going to make a significant amount of money, and God's calling you to be unbelievably generous with it. Mission doesn't always look like being dropped in Liberia. Sometimes it does, but other times it just means being outwardly generous with the life God has called you to. A few weeks ago, we got all the da- a bunch of the dads together 
because uh, we have a couple of new dads in the in the church. Whenever there's a, a new dad, we get all the dads together. It's kind of just an, an excuse to kind of hang out uh, with just the dudes. But we get all the dads together, and then we spend hours talking about fatherhood and loving our wives and what it looks like to be good dads and learn how to do this alongside each other. For those dads that showed up, the 12 dads that showed up to, to care for the other two, those 12 dads said, I'm going to give up my Wednesday night or whatever it was, because I care deeply about the discipleship of your kids and my kids. I'm going to give up my time on this Wednesday night because I long to understand and stay on mission what it looks like to love my wife well and be, give, give some be, be given some best practices, some advice from other men who have walked before me. Mission doesn't always look like giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars. Sometimes it looks like staying on mission to love your kids well. This past year, I can't remember if I ever told you guys this or not. I think we might have said it in a members meeting. But when the pandemic hit uh, and we knew that our, our neighborhood uh, was going to be impacted probably more than anybody else. I feel like people that had have professional jobs, a lot of them have actually made more money during the pandemic. But so many of our neighbors in the neighborhood worked service jobs, and their jobs were deeply impacted when the Congress Center was shut down, when the stadium was shut down, when restaurants were shut down. And when we started to get ideas that came from Christy and our outreach, uh, as our outreach coordinator, our finance team had a decision to make. We've saved money over the years and had money in our savings account, and we had a decision to make. Do we start spending this money to care for our neighborhood well during this difficult time? And there was a woman on our finance team, Alyssa, that served there for a couple years, and she looked at us all and said, if we aren't going to use our savings for our community as it goes through a pandemic, then what are we even doing here as a church? And so I was like, cool, like, that's also my salary, but that's fine. Like, go ahead. And, but we sat there as a team and said, we're going to trust that the Lord, if we're going to be on mission, it means doing things that are scary at times. It means doing things that sacrifice our comfort and the things that make life feel easier for us. And I'll have you know that that money, over $100,000 was given away, and not one bill went unpaid at Redeemer. The Lord continued to provide for us. And the beautiful thing about this is as scary and as sacrificial as mission is, A, it's so good for us, but the last thing I'll say is that we get to do it together. Those disciples weren't sent out alone. They were sent out together. Church, we are not lone rangers doing the, doing the Lord's work. We are intimately called to both fellowship, enjoyment of each other for our, our joy and our holiness, but we're also called to lock arms in mission together. We're called to be praying together, to figure out ways to love our neighbors well as a community, to serve the church alongside each other on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. This is an opportunity when you hear mission and don't think, what do I do individually? What do we do as a church community? So as we continue over the next month or two months to go through this common time after Pentecost, before Advent, we will continue to look at the life of Jesus in the life of these disciples. And as we do, may we at Redeemer be inspired to, in the unique ways God has called each of us, to live on mission, to love our neighbor well, and to see and care for the hurting amongst us 
and be the hands and feet of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the invitation that you've given us to be on mission. We don't take it lightly. We don't look at it as a burden. But, Father, may we look at it, continue to look at it as an invitation. An invitation to grow, an invitation to love, an invitation to risk. But an invitation to do it in following you and alongside each other. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.